LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Ben Mandrell. Hey, Todd, great to be on and always excited to talk to a new pastor friend. Uh, the pastor friend we have on today, I, it, you've probably been in a conference where he has been um, a, a speaker at one time or another. I know I've seen you at Exponential, on Leadership Summit, uh, and several other places, but the, the person we're talking to today is Pastor Choco, uh, Choco de Jesus. How do, I, how do I say that properly? Well, you did it, yeah, Choco de Jesus. Okay. De Jesus. Uh, you did great. You did good, Todd. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, one of the things I've uh, appreciated about him and knowing his story over the years is, first of all, you had a very uh, rough story. So playing top that testimony is not fun to do with you. Um, but second of all, you've had so many different roles. You were in the you're, you've been a pastor. You were a pastor for 20 years. Um a new life covenant in Chicago, which is not a city, an easy city to uh, be a pastor in, but furthermore, you were a public servant um, and uh, worked with the public school system there, at, which is also not hard to do anywhere, but hard in Chicago. <laughs> so um, man, you're a glutton for punishment because now you've come into the de denominational ministry and you're the uh, executive uh, you're on the executive leadership team. You're the general treasurer of the Assemblies of God. And uh, you just came on to that 2019 just in time to deal with COVID. So yeah, I can't wait to talk to you today. What else would you want us to know about you before we get started? Well, first of all, it's just great to, to talk with you, Todd and Ben, and to just kind of be able to share our stories and what God is doing, not only in my life, but in, uh, all over. But uh, all of these transitions that you mentioned, all these elevations and that God has done, to God be the glory. I've always wanted to make sure that we start this off, that God gets all the glory, even if there's been frustration in some of these elevations, that even the leadership, you're going to experience frustration. So uh, I think you hit it there. I think that's enough. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm just honored to be a part of this podcast here, what you're doing. Well, um, I remember a book that I tweeted through that was one of your books called Stay the Course. Yeah. Uh, a very good book. Would recommend people picking that up and reading it. I know you have a, a new message uh, that's combined with a new book that's called Love Them Anyway. Yeah. Um, and it's really, you know, finding hope in the divided world in which we live. And right. again, you know, when people hear the word Chicago, uh, there right. are certain connotations that come up with come up in their heads with that. So, you know, talk about uh, a little bit about finding hope in a divided world, but um, also leading uh, in a yeah. divided context. Yeah. You know, State of the Course, you mentioned that that was my third book. And at the time, it's that I was feeling across our nation that America was drifting and, and the title of the book is called Stay the Course, Finding Hope in a Drifting Culture. And uh, I felt that the Church of Jesus Christ needed to be told that although there is a tsunami of immorality hitting the shores of America, that the Word of God, the Bible, will never drift. Don't make a difference what they create in Washington, D.C. We are kingdom-minded people. So stay the course really was geared towards religious people, 
believing people, Christians, every, every, every level, uh, church going people to just encourage them to stay focused, love them anyway, which is my new book that came out answers the question, Todd answers the, the prevailing question. What do we do with all this racial tension and the political unrest and the uncertainty of our culture? with this cancel culture, what do we do, Pastor Choco? And, and my answer to everyone is that we must use the currency of heaven, which is love. Love is the currency of heaven, not Bible study, not prayers, not uh, fasting. Those are good disciplines, but it's not the currency. And we must, as the church of Jesus Christ, use that currency. And so the book talks about that, Todd, how everyone has a them. Who's the them in their lives? Right. Chapter three speaks about my son. He was the them for me. My son, he was not born with the halo. And like many of your listeners, pastors, their children are not born with halos. And so I had to come to a place, my wife and I, to really, really pray uh, some stupidity out of my son's life as a teenager. You know, he was experimenting with marijuana and drinking. And this is not what we taught him. But that's what we're surrounded by in the city of Chicago. This is we're such a liberal city. How do you lead in a moment like that? How do you lead? And here's my answer to your, your question. You must have a true north. If you have a true north, then no matter what culture comes your way, no matter what city you live in, the true north will always be your compass, Todd. Man, I really resonate with what you're saying, Pastor Choco. I was just uh, with a group of African-American pastors this week, and uh, one of them said that something to me. I'm still thinking through it. He said, we are preaching the gospel of Jesus, but we're not preaching the gospel that Jesus preached. Mm. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, Jesus was always preaching about the kingdom. Mm -hmm. You know, he only mentioned the church one time. That's right. And as much as we are consumed right now with trying to get our churches back, we need to be thinking about getting the kingdom going. And that means, what does it mean? It means going outside our churches to show the love of Christ to the people Mm -hmm. who are not coming to our churches. And it seems like that's been a heartbeat of your ministry. Like you've tried to do that from day one. It sounds like, you know, Ben, I was, I remember when I went to go see the King from the Mode tribe in Africa, the West Africa, and they took me to the palace to see the King and when they stopped at the palace and said, Pastor Choco, we've got protocols. Whatever you do, don't look at the king. Number one. Number two, sit at, sit at the chair that there's going to be. There's going to be three chairs, one for you, one for the translator, and one for the king. So I get in. I sit in my chair. The translator comes in. He sits on his chair. The music starts playing, and the king comes in. And Ben, I could see the king from the corner of my eye, and he's dressed in white, sharp, sharp in, in this crown, it, 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 was, it was sharp. I wanted to talk to him later to see where he got that outfit. But he sits down, he sits down and then something came inside of me. And I looked at the translator and I said these words, tell your king that I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. And I represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he looked at me, he says, you want me to tell the king what? Tell your king that I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. So the translator turned, told the king in his Mode language, he said, Pastor Choco said he's an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven, and he represents the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What the king did next, my friends, 
he broke protocol. He got off his chair, y'all. He got off his chair, started walking towards me. And I'm thinking to myself, I can see him from the corner of my eye. I'm like, you're dead. Choco, you are dead. <laughs> Why insult the king in his own palace? Bro, shut up. You're from Chicago. What I'm thinking, oh, man, I didn't even say goodbye to my wife, Elizabeth. This is bad. And the king comes towards me, y'all. And he puts his hands on my shoulder. And in pure English, pure English, he says, would you pray for me in Jesus' name? And here, let me, let me tell you to all those who are listening. We cannot have a, an identity crisis. We need to know who we are during this shift, during this cultural cancel culture. We need to know that we are citizens of heaven, not Americans, not Puerto Ricans. We are first Christians. And I tell people across America, when I got saved, I put down my Puerto Rican flag and I put down my American flag and I picked up the flag of righteousness that I don't represent the donkey or the elephant. I represent the lion. And if we have that clear identity, if we have a clear identity of who we are, we won't drift. And the problem with the Christians today, this is my opinion, guys. The problem with the Christians today is that we value, we value our positions on issues more than God's command to operate in love. And boy, when you start operating like an American and not a Christian, we begin to lose our identity. We don't even know who we are, but I wanna encourage your listeners, your viewers, that we need to know who we are. We cannot have an identity crisis. Anyway, that's my story. Wow. Closing that, prayer that, now. <laughs> yeah, let's ask for the invitation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have five leadership questions we want to throw at you, Pastor Choco, and our listeners want to know about your leadership because they're interested in you and some of the things that you've learned along the way. Who, who would you say that you're, you're learning from right now? Is there a book or a speaker right now that's, that's really resonating with you? You know, Ben, I, I've really, from a distance, and he's a good friend of mine, is Tommy Barnett. Tommy Barnett was from, he's the, he was the former pastor from Phoenix, Arizona, in the church there. And I've kind of modeled my church from Tommy. He never knew who I was, but he would be one person that I would say, well, he helped me shape my inner city, my outreach approach in Chicago. Uh, another group of people I'm learning from is the next generation. I'm stopping I'm stopping to listen to this next generation that's coming up. Who are, what are they very, telling you? Huh? What are they telling you? They're telling you they want to they want a place at the table. The yeah. 20 to 25 year olds, they want to be heard. They want to they want to be able to engage. They want to help. They ask me, you know, they, they have a question. They say, is my gift needed? Is my gift needed here? And so these are some of the people that I'm learning from or the generations I'm learning from. When you ask the question about who, who am I learning from? That's good. You know, it is interesting to think about. Um, I don't know why it popped into my head, but when you just said that, um, it reminds me of the story where, you know, the children were wanting to come to Jesus and the disciples were like, no, don't bother him. You know, he's busy. And I feel like sometimes in the church that people do bring their gifts to us and we kind of reject, we, we reject them uh, to say, oh, no, you don't understand. We don't, 
we don't need that gift. We need you to watch the children or we don't need that. We, and and reminding that the very, very basis of the gospel is when you reject the gift, you reject the giver. Um, We should really understand that. But often, I mean, as an, as uh, a former executive pastor who, you know, specifically um, built an extensive application for new ministries because I wanted some hurdles for people to jump through. Mm. Um, that's hard for me to swallow, but that's, that's the first thing I thought of when you just said, is there room for my gift or is my yeah. gift wanted at the yeah. table? So there's, there's two way. questions that the two questions I think they, they ask question. Number one is, am I needed here? Am I needed here? So you have this generation that's coming in and they're asking the question, am I needed in this local church? Number two is, is my gift warrant here? And if we as leaders don't begin to understand the tools that are in our toolbox, then, you know, they're going to get, they're going to get rusty. And I've always, when I was pastor in Chicago, you know, Todd, somebody could get saved on Sunday and uh, on Monday, I'm using this person. I'm using them on Monday. I'm not waiting for them to get through a six month program or or 12 weeks program and go through Bible study and go through baptism. And no, if the guy's a painter and I'm doing something for the city and we're doing outreach, he might've gotten saved on Sunday. And on Monday, I'm going to have him paint. I'm going to use him. I'll, I'll, I'll probably pair him up with another believer, a mature believer, but man, we got to be able to make room for this next generation. And, and, and because God, listen, God is a God of generations. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God who speaks into generations. And we got to follow that lead. We got to be able to bring people alongside with us who are the 20s and 30 years old and teach them. So I've got a question because, you know, people would say, people, I'm just saying, you know, in general, we have heard it said, oh, there's a, a sense of entitlement with this generation or, um, you know, they want a title before they want it. They're, they're ready to pick up a towel or, or whatever, you know, pithy, catchy phrase we want, or, um, they're very, uh, they're very given toward having a personal truth versus what is, you know, biblical truth, et cetera. How would you, how would you break that down? Or how would you speak to somebody that says that of, of this generation? I think someone who would speak like that, that they have an entitlement or uh, I I would say that to that person who's saying that, that they really haven't done their homework. Um, You know, I believe that this generation that we're facing right now, Todd, will give you their heart if you give them courage. They're just waiting for uh, a David if you notice in the scripture, when David and Samuel killed Goliath, after, the, after, the, after he killed Goliath, the Bible says, the next verse, and the people of God surged. And what this generation is waiting for is a license. Let, just cut me loose. Cut me loose. It's not an entitlement. They want to give their heart to what they're doing. They want to give their hearts to what they're doing. They see, they see the, the different cultures that they're involved all, all in. And they see some of us that are half-hearted. But this generation, I believe, uh, they want to be all in. 
And we just got to be able to give them courage. And I believe they'll give us their heart. That's really good. My story resonates so much with what you said. I was in my mid twenties when an older pastor gave me an opportunity to preach and man, I didn't know what I was doing. And he sat in the front row and he took notes and he, he believed in me before I had really established any credibility. And that changed my life. Uh, when some older man humbly gave me an opportunity. And I, th- I think you're right. I think they want more than just to be asked to serve on a committee. They want to be given an opportunity to lead or even fail. Yeah. Uh, giving them responsibility that matters. So it's, it's interesting to hear that you, God's really moving your heart in that direction. You know, Ben, I was, when I was in Chicago, I remember taking a mother and a father and a 12 year old son and they met in my office and I said to the mom and dad, I said, your son has a calling. I discern a calling. And as leaders, we've got to be able to look and discern these next leaders that are coming our way. Anyway, so I told the mom and dad, here's what we're going to do. I will tag team with your son on a Wednesday night adult Bible study. He will speak seven minutes and I will speak seven minutes. And let me tell you, this kid hit it out of the park, man. 12 years old, (laughs) 12 years old, because I have to see myself and those who are listening, we've got to see ourselves as gatekeepers. We've got to open the door and, and let these kids go in there. They might not get it right. They probably mean Noah and they say Moses. Come on, we, we, we all go through that that season. But boy, we gotta be able to open the gates for this next generation to, to be able to find their purpose and what God has for them. Before we get back to the podcast, let's talk about time and how 24 hours never seem to be enough to get everything done. As a church leader for a growing church, you eventually realize that you can't do everything on your own. Not well anyway. Your job is to be the visionary, but instead you spend countless hours on tasks that could easily be done and arguably done better by someone else. And that's where the powerful multiplying effects of delegation prove mission critical. Our friends at Belay, the organization revolutionizing productivity with their virtual assistant, bookkeeping and social media strategist services for growing churches, know the demands on church leaders all too well. In fact, their first client was a pastor and they've continued to serve them every day for the last 10 years. Belay is offering a free download to all our podcast listeners of their delegation worksheet and guide to help you determine what only you can do and what should be delegated so you can get back to what really matters, fulfilling your purpose. Just text LIFEWAY to 55123. That's L-I-F-E-W-A-Y to 55123 for your free download. You're now one step closer to reclaiming precious time every week to do what only you can do. Now, back to the podcast. So I want to keep moving through our our questions. Um, And the next question is really, what's your main point of emphasis in your leadership right now? Um, You know, we we know a lot of what has kind of led you to this point. I shared a little bit with that, but what's your main point of emphasis right now in your ministry? Because you've 
you know, served in the public sector while being a pastor and, and now you're at a de- denominational level. What, what's your main point of emphasis? What are you focused on? You know, Todd, my focus right now is to steward God's money. He's given me the responsibility to take on the assemblies of God and the resources that have been there for 107 years. And I want to be able to, as the general treasurer, make sure that the organization is healthy for the next 25 years. So I have to make wise decisions now. I have to make some tough decisions now as the general treasurer so that if the Lord should delay his return, this organization, the Assemblies of God, because it's a living organism, it's a living organism, the body of Jesus Christ, that's what it is. And we've got to be able to make sure that it is healthy for the next one. Number two, I would think for me is um, the emphasis is the excellence of what we do as an organization. I've always believed that excellence honors God and inspires people. So we want to inspire pastors and leaders to do what they do in that spirit of excellence. I don't care if they have 50 people in their church or 100 people in their church. Do your Sunday services and your Monday or your Wednesday's Bible study. Do it in the spirit of excellence. And so at the national level, that's what we're doing. We're taking it up another notch. Let's do what we do in the spirit of excellence. A lot of our listeners are leaders who are trying to uh, move the needle on their own leadership. And they're always interested to hear how others are developing and growing, particularly people they look up to like you, Pastor. What, what would you say are some of the daily things that you try to do as a leader? Do you have some habits that you've built into your life that have been instrumental for your own growth? Yeah, for sure, Ben. Um, number one, uh, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I'm in the gyms at five o'clock in the morning. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, automatic. I'm at the gym uh, from five to six. So at four in the morning, I'm up on those days, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. I'm up at four doing my devotions because I never want to go to the gym. This is just my own thing. I never want to go to the gym without first touching bases with my father. So I usually get up like today, uh, Wednesday. I got up at four this morning, did my devotions. Uh, There's some, you know, so you have to create as a leader, you got to have some, some good habits. Another word would probably be uh, priorities. I try to tell leaders not to balance their lives. Don't balance your life. You're not a juggler. You're not a circus master. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. You've got to be able to have priorities. And so the second thing for me is having priorities in my life that for me is my relationship with Christ, my wife of 33 years, my children, and then the ministry. But that's always been even the format in Chicago. The Lord, my wife, you know, my three children, my grandchildren, and then New Life Covenant Church. So I would say you've got to have good habits. You've got to have some priorities. And then when you have those, have consistency. Just can't start it off on January 1st and then you die out on February 13th or whatever. You've got to, you've got to be able to be, as a leader, have some staying power you know, throughout the years. So this, these are some of the things that I do to create those type of um, leadership consistencies. Todd, I'm going to have to hop off the call. I got a 2.30 in the gym. Uh, I'm going to have to go hit the weights. <laughs> are, you feeling, are you feeling that, bro? <laughs> Come on. Come on, bro. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. 
Conviction, conviction. I think Todd and I could maybe use a little encouragement in that area. I'm glad we're on this call today. Maybe. (laughs) Uh, Todd, it's yours. (laughs) I'm not sure if I want it. Uh, No. So, you know, moving through here, uh, I I also want to make sure we understand, you know, what does leadership in your home look like? Um, You know, you mentioned uh, having adult children now and, and grandkids and, you know, throughout maybe the different seasons, even if you wanted to break it down, like what does leadership looked like in your home, you know, yesterday and, and today? Yesterday, yesterday, when my three kids were home, leadership for me was to try to establish a structure for my children to live by. For instance, uh, we would have, Monday nights, it was called dinner night. Everybody had to be at the table, no matter where you're at. That was yesterday. And even as they went into their adult life, everyone knew when I was in Chicago, Monday night, we all met at our house for dinner. Even when I left Chicago to go to Springfield, Missouri, my kids still continue that practice. So my leadership in my home was establishing some sort of structure that the next generation, my children's children would be able to uh, follow, if you will. Um, Living by example, I wanted my kids to see me love their mother, uh, my wife, and so that they would know what a healthy marriage looks like. Um, You know, my daughter once said to me, and she told him full of everybody in the church, because they were celebrating something. And I think when I graduated my doctorate or something, she says, my dad, my dad is no different from the pulpit or at home. If his joke stinks at home, they stink at the church. (laughs) Guy, he's not a different guy in the church. And that speaks, that speaks to, to what I wanted to make sure that in my home as a leader, I'm uh, uh, for me, the priest of the home, I'm the leader of the home, I'm the servant of the home, um, the caretaker of the home. And uh, I wanted my kids to see all those different avenues, uh, you know, as they were growing up. Today, today they're all married, they're out of the house, glory to God in the highest. I'm not sad that they're <laughs> out. So, I'm not this Puerto Rican father that wants their kids to stay. No, they gotta go. Um, today, my, my leadership looks a little bit more intense in, because now it's me and my wife. When I mean intense, Todd, I mean uh, more rigid because I'm an adult and I don't really play with my time. When my kids lived with me, I had to be flexible because they're not at the same speed. But here, right. I'm needing my own speed. There's no one here. I've got my own speed and, and I don't just don't allow anybody to play with my time. That makes sense. I, I, as a father of four at home teenagers, I do think about what Paul said about a, a man's interests being divided. Yeah. Uh, yes. You know, Paul said, I wish everybody were single like me because your interests are divided. And if you got a family at home, your interests are divided. Todd, you That's know right. about that. <laughs> I have four as well. I, I was going to ask a follow up question, though, on that, because you said a big part of that was establishing what a healthy relationship looked like. So my question to you would be how much of things like, you know, conflict, um, like how did you decide what they saw and what they didn't need to see? 
you know, my wife and I, we had an, we had an understanding that we would not, whether it be in the car, frustrated coming out of church or a brother or sister got us frustrated. We would just not talk about a brother or sister or, or put somebody down or, or her and I would have an argument of a decision that I made or she said, or we just decided early on not to do that in front of the kids. Wait until they go to sleep. Wait until they go to sleep. And we knew, we knew that neither one of us were going to go anywhere. You know, that's not an option. And, you know, but we kept that away from the kids. We, uh, uh, and, and not that they, I think as they got older, as my kids understood that this is what they should do in their marriage, not to bring that type of tension and pressure uh, to our children. I know of a kid right now, he's in his late 20s. He's got two kids, him and his wife are always arguing. And the oldest son, oldest son is already talking. I think he's only five or six years old. Already, The oldest son is already saying to the grandfather, and to the grandmother, I want to live with you. Obviously, the kid is sensing this pressure that he does not have to sense. And so I don't know how other people do it, Todd. I just decided, and Elizabeth, we're not going to do it in front of the kids. One last question. I want to fire at you. That was a great answer. Uh, as you think about your life now, and you have a chance to reflect on your 20-year-old self, if you could go back and talk to your 20-year-old self, what would you say to you? <laughs> Uh, I probably would have said to myself, uh, Choco, you should have started saving early on. <laughs> you should have value because, you know, at 20, you're a knucklehead. You don't, you spend money here. You going to pizza, you're doing this. No one ever been, no, not in my dad. My dad abandoned me when I was eight years old. We didn't have that practice of have a savings account, thinking about retirement, we, we, at least in my culture, I didn't have that. Yeah. I, so if I can go back, I'm 56. If I can go back 36 years ago and say, hey, Choke, you know, all, all that money that you made over here and this and the jewelry store or whatever, why don't you put some of that away? It's going to yeah. help you in the future. Because when you want to go buy a house, you don't have capital. If I would have done it through my 20s and 30s, I would have had some money. So I think I would have told myself that about and that would have created a host of things, Ben. Discipline, you would have a perspective of the future. If you would have had this mindset of saving, it would, it would have helped you in so many different areas of your life. So I, maybe that's not the answer. It's not spiritual, but... No, that's a great answer. You, you come across as a very disciplined guy. I bet you are. I, Todd, do you feel that? Are you hearing that? <laughs> my wife would tell you he's a psycho he's a psycho <laughs> i love disciplined people i wish i was one of them it's, it's great yeah, thank you well um i, I really want to well actually i want to ask you one more question because i know a little bit about your story so your new book is titled love them anyway how are how are you a result of someone loving you anyway when you were uh, That's a good question. Before you were saved or as you were saved? You know, um, living in the hood in Chicago, I got saved at 14. So I, I, I didn't, I had a dysfunctional family. And I think the local church had this major role of showing me love of what a family looks like. 
even though we're made up of different people. So we can, cause we call ourselves brother and sister. And, and so I really took that literally. This is, even though I have this other biological family and we're distant, they have their, their lives, but the local church played a major role in creating that nucleus for me of a family and that love that I missed, you know, because we inspired one another, we encouraged one another to pursue education, so forth. So when one of my buddies got their associate's degree, we all went after that. When we got my, when I got my bachelor's degree, others got their, so we encouraged one another to do things like that. So I would say, Todd, that for me was, was the church showing me love and, and what, what it would look like as a family. I was in the Psalms this morning in uh, Psalm 2710. Even if my father and mother abandoned me, the Lord cares for me. Yeah, yeah. What a powerful verse. Powerful. Uh, and, and also how the body of Christ functions as that family that is broken. You can find a father in the church. You can find a mother. The, the body of Christ supplies where the, where the world disappoints us. The, yeah. the churches there provide that. What, what an awesome reminder. You think about it in the city of Chicago in Humboldt Park, I think it was 41% of the mothers are single moms. And so they would come to my church and I would get mothers bring me their children with their report cards because there's no father in their lives. And they wanted me to talk to their son who had an F in math or reading. Wow. And, and so I, after preaching three or four services, <laughs> <laughs> They're like, hey, I don't care, Choco. You, you, need to, you need to speak. He doesn't have a father and he looks up to you. And it would be common to bring somebody into my office wow. or in the lobby area. And I'll be looking at him and like, you know, looking at his report card and F. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? All of them, you know. <laughs> and, but it would be common. Like every wow. other Sunday, I'm talking to a kid or encouraging him or disciplining him or but that's how it was. This is how it was in the hood. And, you know, we had a lot of, you had a, a lot of single moms. You know what you should have done? You should have made them be at the gym at 5 a.m. the next oh. morning. <laughs> Three times a week, baby. You're meeting me there. <laughs> that's right. Get your grades up. They would have left the church. They would have left the church. <laughs> it is, it is uh, interesting. You know, we talked uh, a little bit earlier about how, uh, you know, sometimes pastors, kids can be knuckleheads and things like that. Um, yeah. But uh, honestly, when I think of my church, uh, churches, I grew up in two churches. My dad was pastor. I, I wake up sometimes thinking about those people that poured into me that weren't blood family, but um, certainly treated me like uh, family. And mm -hmm. it dawned on me <clears throat> earlier this week, seriously, I woke up and it was like I was in uh, a dream, you know, I was about to go to camp and this person that, uh, she's no longer, you know, with us, she, she passed away of cancer. That person realizing now as an adult that that person may have had, you know, two, three weeks of vacation, but she gave up her vacation to take me to camp, mm -hmm. um, to think about, the way that that person who was not a pastor, who was not a paid person um, for better, for better sense of the word, you know, became family to me mm -hmm. and went above and beyond there that the power of the local church is absolutely amazing. And for a lot of us pastors, kids who were knuckleheads, 
we probably wouldn't be in ministry. Not if it wasn't for our, our families. I had great, a great dad, but you know what, when I think about it, it was those men and women of the church that were father figures, mother figures, Mm -hmm. um, family members that just really invested in me. Mm -hmm. They had as much uh, to do with me coming back, you know, to my faith Mm. as, as, as my family did. So, you know, I, I, uh, when I would meet with some of these kids and why I remember one girl, she was like 13 or 14 years old and, and her mother brought her to me because she started dating. And I brought her to my office with her mom. And I said, write down for me, write down for me the top 10 things you want to see in a husband. Top 10. So she gave me the list, put in an envelope. Now the girl's 21. She was 21. And the mother brings her back to me. She brings her back to me at 21 because she started dating a guy that's unchurched. And so little did she know that I saved the note in the list in my desk for all those years, eight years I held and I brought it out to her in a meeting. And I said, these, this is your list. This is your penmanship. These are your words. Do they mean anything? Boy, that girl started crying. She couldn't believe that I would save that letter, that list for eight years. Kids do not remember time. They remember moments. And as leaders and we're pastors, we create moments in the lives of these children that will etch them. They would mark them for the rest of their lives. And so we have a responsibility, my friends. It is a, it's a big, as fathers, as mentors, as men, I know that we've been in this culture to try to strip us for who we are, but we, we need to know that we're men and that God has called us to be servants and to be leading uh, in our communities, in our cities, in our families. And so I want to encourage your listeners to, to lead whether God has called you to a youth ministry or children's ministry, male, female, be a leader. Don't manage, be a leader. Pastor, you missed your calling as a coach, man. I feel motivated. You're, you're, you have such an inspiring uh, vibe about you. I just want to go out and run a marathon or something right now. Don't I, you, Todd? I'm going to go. I'm going to form tackle a trash can in the parking lot. <laughs> And hope that I'm just going to hope that it's not somehow bolted down or something because that would wreck my body at this point. But that's, that's what I want to go do right now. Go for it. Go for it. You guys got to send me pictures working out. You guys got to send me pictures working out. Well, it's great to meet you and great to talk with you. And Todd, thanks for letting me be on this call with Pastor Choco. What, what an honor. Thank Absolutely. you. Pleasure to meeting you, Ben. Well, uh, listeners, thank you so much for uh, really listening in on our conversation. We really hope you enjoy these. And we just ask that you would uh, take a look at Pastor Choco's new book. Also take a a look at um, just his ministry uh, and what he's doing right now. Um, Guys, it's always refreshing uh, to talk to leaders when you really hear their heart, you hear the transparency through their voice and uh, you, you hear exactly what's going on with them. So thank you so much for sharing with us, with Pastor Choco. Uh, and we look forward to hearing from you again in the future. Amen. Thank you, Todd. Love you guys. Peace be with you. And with you. Yeah.